We're going to turn tonight to the book of Mark, the book of Mark, chapter number three, the book of Mark. We've been studying treasures from the book of Mark for a few weeks now. And as we've come to chapter 3 and verse number 13, the scripture says, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. And he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus. And Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. Amen. Tonight, from this text... I want to preach out of verse number 17 where the scripture says, And James, the son of Zebedee. I want to preach on this thought. James, the son of thunder. Now, I don't mean to get bogged down in our study of Mark on this list of disciples, but there are great riches here that we need to explore and that we need to discover. The disciples are listed in Matthew 10, again here in Mark 3, also in the book of Luke, chapter number 6, and Acts chapter number 1. And we found out that they're just plain, common, everyday, ordinary men, people just like you and all, just like you and I are. And as I read this list and think about it, I find encouragement because if God could use these fellas, maybe he can use me. Maybe he can use you. You see, God uses all different kinds of people to carry out his work. Every one of us has unique character and individual personality traits. When I look back through this list real quick, let's just highlight some things. Peter, he was impulsive, outspoken, open mouth, insert foot. James and John, they are fiery, zealous men. Andrew, he is someone who is uh, quiet. I guess he had to be because Peter's always doing all the talking. That was his brother. He's gentle, Andrew is, and he's inconspicuous, always bringing somebody to Jesus. One thing about Philip, that's, sometimes I challenge you to go home and, and think about which one of the disciples may best match your life. Philip, I think, would be mine. Philip was kind of slow plotting things he sometimes was slow to receive the truth that God wanted him to have then he became analytical about it he's a bean counter and he can be a problem solver but he can also be the problem itself amen that's why I identify with him so well Bartholomew was meditative he was sincere he was a free thinker Matthew, the former tax collector, he was humble, but he was very decisive when he made a decision about something. That's the way it was. Thomas was a doubter. I'm a lot like that too. Very melancholy. Moody, well, not so much with me. But he has a tendency to be negative and a tendency when the pressure's on to withdraw himself. James, the son of Alphaeus, he's known as James the Less, 
he's got um, kind of a personality that's behind the scenes. He's never really out front leading, but he's definitely a team player. Simon the Canaanite, he's a zealot. He's out of, out of an extremist background, and he's fiercely loyal with deep convictions. The last one is Judas. He's really the one nobody really got to know because he's always hiding behind a mask and a facade. Together, they form a very intriguing group to me because how can all these different backgrounds and all these different personalities, how can these fellas function together? How can these guys minister together as one team? i tell you why. Their commitment to Jesus Christ transcends their differences and unites them with the exception of Judas Iscariot. And tonight, with our different temperaments and our different backgrounds, it's a wonder that we as a church can hold together. But our commitment to Christ causes us to unite and it puts all the differences aside. Or at least it should. I want to say four things tonight about James, the son of thunder, and see if there's some characteristics in your life or some things you might learn about tonight that you might set your course upon. Number one tonight, when I think about James, the son of thunder, I begin to think about his profile. Let's consider his family. Now, it mentions here that he is the son of Zebedee. Zebedee was a hard-working man. He owned a fishing business, and it was a, a successful fishing business. He, he was partnering uh, with Andrew and with Simon Peter. And according to Mark chapter 1 and verse number 20, it was successful enough that in that fishing business on his ship, he had hired servants that he hired to work with him. They were located around the region of Capernaum, which is on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he was a hard-working individual that taught James and John about hard work and commitment. I think about James's mother. Turn with me to the end of the book of Mark in chapter 16. We'll find out who James's mother was. James, Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Now, here we're being introduced to these women. These are women that have come to the burial uh, place of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've come to an empty tomb. We see Mary Magdalene. We see Mary, the mother of James the less, and we see a lady by the name of Salome. These three are coming together. There's going to be more. Turn back to chapter 15 and look with me in verse number 40. There were also women, women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the less, and of Joseph and Salome. I can go through the scripture and I'm going to note that Salome is one of the women that would have been at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. 
Salome was one of the women who came bearing spices to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and discovered an empty tomb. Hallelujah. So Salome is a believer and she has given faithful instruction as well to her son, James. He also has a brother. We read about him in chapter 3. We read tonight at verse 17. John, the brother of James. I get to thinking about his brother who wrote the book of John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. He wrote five books of the Bible. I do believe that James was the older brother. Preacher Dan, why do you believe that? Because every time I see James mentioned in the Gospels, it's always James first and John. They're always together, but James is usually listed first. James's brother, John, is a man who upheld the truth of the Word of God. I went back through the Gospels looking in these last three days. I find 18 places that James is mentioned in the Gospels, but guess what? He is never mentioned in the book of John. Not one time. Which is just like John, because oftentimes John would not even speak of himself. He would say, he whom the Lord loved, right? He never really spoke of himself. Yet, hear me, James is never apart from his brother. I thought about this. In Mark chapter 1, in verse 19, when Jesus had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who were also in the ship, mending their nets, and straightway he called them. They left their father, Zebedee, in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. What had happened? Jesus walked up and said, Come and follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. They responded in faith without hesitation. Thank God for the profile and the background of James. Don't forget now where he's come from because the fishing business is a rough, competitive business. And I'm telling you, you've got to be a he-man to pull in those nets and to cast them with sunburnt necks, sweat of your brow. I'm telling you, sometimes filthy talk goes on down there on the docks of the seashore. And here's some young man who I believe has gotten saved and is following the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his profile. Number two, I want us to think about his privilege. Now back, back, back to what we read in Mark 3. We give the profile about he's the son of Zebedee and he's the bro, his brother's name is John. What is his privilege? The Bible says Jesus surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. You know, when thunder happens, people take notice. One time, I had gone to Trinity Baptist Church, and uh, we were praying. There's a lot of things going on in our country, and preachers had gathered from all over, and we were there to pray. And I'll never forget, the man of God, they'd ask a special brother to walk up and to pray. And he was begging God. I was laying in the back of the building on my face. And when I, when I had finished praying myself, this is what I heard the brother say. He said, God, would it be that you would speak to us and let us know that you have heard us? Oh, God, would you speak so we'd know? Give us a sign, Lord, that you've heard from heaven. And about that time, a clap of thunder resulted 
that vibrated. You ever heard thunder vibrate the ground? And I'm laying on my face, and in the church house, the ground is vibrating from the thunder. And when the brother Lee, his name was last name was Lee, when brother Lee finished praying, I promise you I was in the back of the church, and I, when I went in, it was a sunshine, beautiful sky day. And I heard that thunder, and I thought, you know, there might be a thunderstorm blowed up outside. Y'all, I walked outside, left the meeting, and looked outside, not a cloud in sight. There is no reason for there to be any thunder that would have caused that building to have vibrated and shaken other than the fact that God in glory heard the prayers of Pastor Lee and God gave us a sign and spoke to us to say, I've heard your prayer and I'm working and answering it right now. That excites my soul. And God gave them this nickname of Bornerges. There is energy. There is strength being exhibited. You're gonna, when you get around James, you're going to find someone who is ignited uh, for the glory of God. He, he's on fire. He, there's thunder. There's strength. There's enthusiasm. There's excitement. I'm telling you, we could use some of that, amen. As a thunderous individual, I just wrote down some of these uh, attributes. He's a man who's passionate. He's a man who's fervent. He's a man who's ambitious. He's a man who's zealous. He's a man who's intense. He's a man who's eager. He's a man who can be explosive. As his stand for God caused him to make enemies fast as he stood up against them in their persecutions of the church. His thunderous zeal. Where do you think he got his thunderous zeal? Well, maybe he got it from the hard work ethic that his daddy put into him. And, and maybe from the faith and the, the loyalty and the commitment that his mother had. And, and I'm telling you, I believe when the Lord called him, the Lord is a man just like we're a man, yet he was without sin and yet he was full God. And Jesus is the epitome of zeal. In fact, let's read about it. Let's turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 and verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Jesus was a man filled with zeal. And when John, or excuse me, when James gets around the Lord Jesus Christ, his faith and his zeal are growing stronger every day. You'd do well, and so would I in my life and yours, to connect and to fellowship with someone that's on fire for God. Rather than running around with people that are lackadaisical and running around with people that are lukewarm. May I say that just earlier today, I was thirsty. As I passed by, I thought I'm going to get me that bottle of water. It was sitting there on the countertop, 
and I picked it up before I thought about it, opened the top, and started, I took, I drunk half of it, and I realized, wow, that was warm. I hate warm water. It, it wasn't about five minutes, and my belly started hurting. My belly don't like warm water. You know what I did? Bless God, I went to the refrigerator, and I got me another cold bottle, and I opened up that bottle of water, and I went, oh, that's good. And it straightened everything out, amen. I either want to be hot for God or cold, but I don't want to be lukewarm because the Bible says he'll spew you out of his mouth. No wonder, amen, he hates things that are lukewarm. I don't want to be a lukewarm pastor. I don't want to pastor a lukewarm church. I can't stand stagnant water. I want to be doing something, going somewhere, serving the Lord, being active. I want to get excited about what God's doing. Amen. Zeal is a great virtue. We love people who are enthusiastic. We love people who are charged up. Man, put me in the locker room of football players or some basketball team, and even if we're down at halftime, man, the enthusiasm and see them boys get fired up and come out in the third quarter and take over and change the course of action, what a blessing that is to be a motivator or to get motivated at halftime. May I take time out to tell you tonight, this thing's not over yet, amen. You may feel like you're losing, honey, but let me encourage you. I've read the end of the book. We're on the winning side. We're going to win, praise God. And we may be past the third quarter, but praise God, our setbacks are a setup for a comeback, and we're going to win in the long run. Amen. Too many of God's people are just lukewarm. We need to be zealous about the cause of Jesus Christ. We need to be zealous about the Word of God. We need to be zealous about lost people dying and going to hell. We ought to want to change that course. Some years ago, and I was, I'm praying about doing this again. But some years ago, uh, God had been see, just so good to me. And uh, I said, Lord, I want to do something for you, but I don't know what to do for you. I can praise you, and I can seek your face and pray, and, and I can fast, but God, I want to do something. I mean, it's not, I know you don't need money. Uh, you, you don't, I mean, you've got everything. What do you get for somebody that's got everything? Right? So I said, God, that's what I want to do. I'm going to go to our pulpit at Bethel, and I'm going to stand up forever how long it takes till I get tired every night. And I'm going to start reading in the book of Matthew. And I'm going to invite our church and say, hey, y'all, come down. We're going to have scripture reading. We're going to read the whole New Testament for the glory of God. People were so excited that seven people showed up. Woo! I was thrilled. I thought I'd be by myself. I did. Come back the next night over the course of 14, listen, 14 nights. It took me reading the Word of God for hours on end in this pulpit. And the last night, we had 52 people here as we closed the book of Revelation. And get, listen to me, guess what God did on the next Sunday after that happened? God saved 52 people. Now you may look at me and say, Preacher Darren, that's an impossibility. Honey, I was here, I saw, I know what God can do. That's just like him. Well, you did it to get that. Honey, I just wanted to do something for God, and this is what God said. He said, you want to do something for me? 
I'll not be outgiven. I'm going to do something for you. And while I'm doing something for you, I'm going to do something for myself and for my son. And he saved that many people. Lord God, we ought to have more scripture reading nights. I didn't do anything but read chapter after chapter with no comments at all. In fact, somebody, I think, even put lemon in my water to try to get me to get them out of here faster. Amen. Get me to pucker up. All right, so we need to be zealous about our stand for God. Now, his zeal, his enthusiasm causes him to be listed second on this list. Now, the, the order is different in the first group sometimes, but he's second in his influence. And you know what, how he gets close to God in his influence? His zeal for the Lord. His excitement for the Say, preacher, Dad, I want zeal. You know how you're going to get zeal? Getting closer to him. You draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. So I ask you this question, preacher, Dan, I want zeal. How much zeal you want? Now, some of us are brill cream. A little dabble, didn't you? Amen. I went over somebody's head. You'll get that in a minute too. Amen. I begin to think about, I begin to think about James. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 37. And we know that um, Jairus has got a daughter, 12 years old, that's sick. He comes to Jesus, and while he explains the situation to Jesus, a woman with an issue of blood stops and touches the hem of the Lord's garment, and the Lord turns his attention from Jairus' situation to this woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. It's a setup. Because this woman with the issue of blood for 12 years Jairus has a daughter that's 12 years old. And this woman has wasted everything she's had. And Jairus has tried every avenue. He sought every avenue. And the Lord looked at this woman and said, Daughter, Jairus has a daughter. Amen. You're going to be whole. Your faith has made you whole. And about that time a runner comes and said, Jairus, don't trouble the master any further because your daughter's dead. It's too late. Jairus thought, if it hadn't been for that woman, she got in my way. Somebody always get in front of us. And the Lord took him by the hand. The Bible says in verse 30, he says, be not afraid, only believe. Look at verse 37. When they get to the house, he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said to them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. You see that? They mocked him and ridiculed him. That's our Lord. But when he had put them all out, what do you, what do you think he did to put them all out? I mean, I saw what he did when he cleansed the temple. He's a man of zeal. He said, I'm going to drive the people that are unbelievers and the people have no faith. Get out of here. And the only people left in that house was Peter, James, John, Jairus, Jairus' wife. Number six, the number of men, a dead girl. We're dead in trespasses and sins. And there's a seventh one in the room. His name is Jesus. And he's all you need. And he spoke to that little girl, and he said, Talitha kumai, damsel, I send thee arise. 
and she sat up, she began to walk, she was of age 12 years old. Let me just say this, it's important that Peter, James, and John saw Jesus' power over death. You want to have some zeal and walk with God, you need to learn he has power over death. Well, preacher Darren, my loved one got sick and, and he didn't heal them, you didn't see the other side. When they got to heaven, amen, Jesus has power and victory over death. Say amen right there. And if you don't believe it, you're going to find out one day, amen, his, he has power over death. Look at chapter 9, verse number 2. The Bible says, and after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. He took these three, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain, and Jesus, I'm telling you, the glory of God just began to glow and shine from the inside out. His inside overcame the outside. And they were there to see his glory. Honey, if you're going to have zeal and walk with God, amen, you'll not only see his power over death, but you're going to get to see his glory. Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, there's a rock beside me. And, it, and he hit him in the cleft of the rock, put his hand there, and he said, as I go by, you can see my hinder parts. Amen. And he saw the glory of God. There's been some times around here that God's passed by and let us see him through the lattice work of eternity at what God is doing. Hey, and that excites me, amen. Well, there's, there's one that a lot of people don't think about, but I want to read it in Mark chapter 13. A lot of people don't think about this one with Peter, James, and John. And there's a fourth one in on this one with them. And he's part of that first group. Remember, I've always said there are three groups of four. This is your first group. Your first group is Peter, James, John, and the quiet one, Andrew. They're always listed in the, ter in the first four. Look with me in um, verse number... Uh, verse number 1. As he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. You see, they had zeal. Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Thank God they asked. The Lord went into a whole dissertation just for those that were there, amen. And we've got an understanding of what the end times are going to be like. So, we see another situation. Mark chapter 14 and verse number 33. We know the Lord has had the, the, the last supper with his disciples. He's, he's took it all of them. They all sang. He took every single one of them. They all went out to, uh, to, to uh, pray. And they come to the edge of the garden. Some of them stayed there by the garden's edge. Jesus went a little further. You know who he took with him? Peter, James, and John. Look with me in verse 32. They come to a place which is called Gethsemane. He saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. 
he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. He saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. What does he do? He doesn't stay with them. The Bible says he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed if it were possible. Preacher, what does that mean? Jesus is saying, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other price, if there's any other measure that I have to go through this, Lord, if it's possible that the hour might pass for me, that I'll have to go through the cross and the agony and the shame, and I think the biggest thing is the separation from God the Father. There are people that say all the time, Preacher Darren, that's absolutely... Jesus is God. He could never be separated. Well, I don't know. Read your Bible. The Bible says that, that the Lord Jesus Christ, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What does that mean, forsaken? He's turned his back upon him. There had to be a time of separation between the two. Oh, the agony our Lord was in. Peter, James, and John, it was important for them to understand their zeal and their faith brought them to a place that they would understand the agony and the suffering which the Lord endured for their salvation. Sometimes we don't appreciate all that Jesus endured that we might be saved. We just lackadaisically, lukewarmly go along and say, it's good to be saved, ho-hum. I don't have enough, give me more Jesus. I'm telling you, we've lost our appreciation of the things of God. And the zeal and the faith James had brought him into that inner circle. But now zeal, you've got to be careful. It's good to be excited and have energy and to be enthusiastic. I love that. But you've got to be careful. Number three, there are, I want to talk about his passion, the implications of his passion. There's times when zeal can get you in trouble. It's like a fire out of control. Let's talk about it for a second. Turn with me to a passage in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I want to begin reading in the 51st verse. The Bible says in Luke 9 verse 51, It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So the Lord is with his disciples. They're passing. He's headed towards the cross, headed towards Jerusalem. And as he's headed there, the most direct route is to go through a city, a town, a village of the Samaritans. The Samaritans and the Jews have no dealings with each other. You talk about prejudice in today's society, it was much greater then. The Jews hated the Samaritans, but the Lord taught us about the good Samaritan. Amen. And the Samaritans hated the Jews back. Verse 52, he sent messengers before his face. They went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. They're getting there saying, listen, the Lord, the Messiah, he needs safe passage through. Can, can y'all grant us safe passage? Maybe some, maybe a place where we can maybe eat, uh, that, that, that we wouldn't have any trouble. 
Verse 53, they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. There's like, if you come to Samaria to see us, good, we'll receive Jesus. But if you're on your way through to go to Jerusalem, to a Jewish city, no, negative. They rejected him, and they would not receive the Lord. I couldn't tell me times I've preached in my lifetime since God called me to preach the ministry. I also could not tell you how many people have not received Jesus, but have rejected him as I have presented it. Verse number 54. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? Do you see what they said? They said, Lord, would it be all right if we have a, a church barbecue? Let's burn them up, Lord. Let's get rid of the whole crowd. They've rejected you. They would not receive you. They've offended us, Lord. You see, their zeal has got them in trouble. It's become a fire raging out of control. All they see is what they think it should be. I couldn't tell you in my ministry how many times that I've dealt with people that could only see it the way they saw it, but they could not see it from the way Jesus sees it. I've been that way myself. And I always have to check up remembering this passage. Look what Jesus said. He turned and rebuked them. What? He rebuked. They're defending Christ's honor. They're standing up for the cause of Christ. But Jesus rebuked them. Because they, 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 they are prejudiced, filled with hatred, filled, filled with variance against people. And he rebuked them and he said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. James and John, your cause for Christ is without a missionary heart. Zeal is good, but zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Their zeal outran their love for others. Their convictions overtook their compassion. You ever seen people get legalistic and their zeal and their convictions overtake compassion for their fellow man? You must and I must be careful in the church of the living God not to let our zeal outrun our love for other people. They're prideful, vindictive. Let me say, for me to stand and preach truth Without love, it will not work. I may be preaching truth, but you could preach truth cold and it have no effect. James's zeal is like putting a shotgun loaded in the hands of a child. He has just enough truth available to be dangerous and kill about. There are truths that it has taken me years to wrestle and to understand, and God won. And if it took me years to understand truths and principles, 
when someone else struggles with the same issue, you better be careful not to jump on them first thing because God was patient with you till you got a load of it. You need to be patient with them as God is patient and let him work it out. God sent Jesus not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. So be careful when you judge people. I say this tonight. We definitely need more thunder in the church, not less. But what we need is thunder that's under control. We'll read one more in Matthew chapter 20. Well, Preacher Darren, you, I was all excited until you started hitting us there with that zeal being dangerous. I'm just telling you, zeal without knowledge and wisdom is a dangerous thing. In Matthew chapter number 20, and I could read this to you also out of Mark's gospel. I like how Matthew puts it so, so adequately. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him. Praise God. What a blessing. Salome and her boys James and John have come to worship Jesus and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. Now, that sounds so good. I want the best for my children. Zeal. And the Bible also tells us in Mark that these boys, that was their desire, and they probably, rather than ask for it themselves, because they thought they might get rebuked, they got their mommy to do it for them. What great men of bold courage to get their mommy to do it for them. And when Jesus began to speak, look at verse 22, look close. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? He's not speaking to her. He's speaking to them boys who probably put her up to it. He didn't address her. And look, they say, not her, they say unto him, we are able. What Jesus is saying, listen, you're focused on the greatness for yourself and not for the glory of the Savior. Your zeal and your ambition, you think that you're ready for persecution, hatred, opposition, ridicule, suffering, hardship. They said, we are able. The cup Jesus is going to drink up is the bitter cup of the dregs of our sin. He's going to be baptized into death for us that we might have a newness of life. We are able. Their zeal is naive. Couldn't tell me times I run across. I hope there's somebody listening to me right now. Son, I couldn't tell me times I run across young preachers filled with zeal, tear their churches all to pieces. All to pieces. People, I couldn't tell me times people filled with zeal go about things the wrong way and make a mockery of the things of God because of some misguided zeal or self-ambition 
couldn't tell you. I'll never forget. We had a number of people saved. The altars were full. Standing about in this area, and I'm usually not down in this area, but I've been praying with somebody. I was standing right here. The lady walked down the aisle to me, and she came and she said, God showed me that I'm to walk down the aisleway, and where I stop, the pew I stop on, the one I touch, somebody on that pew is lost, and they're going to hell. And God told me to tell them. I said, now, boy, wow. And God told me to tell you that if he didn't tell you, he's going to kill you. So it's your decision. And rather than go back to her seat, she sat down where I had got up from until the service was over. You see, zeal, I want to do something, I want to do something, I want to do something. You better make sure that what you do is for the glory of God and not for the glory of self. Are you hearing me? And the Lord is saying, listen, you know not what you ask for. Are you able? Oh, yes. Look with me in verse uh, 23. He says to them, you shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with my baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my, of my father. Verse 24, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. You, you see, what they thought, they were being united by their commitment to Christ. But when they started seeking self-glory, it caused division. Will you hear me, young, young, young preacher boy? Will you hear me? Well, preacher Dan, why I want to listen to you? You're some old fool up there going on your new, your old fangled ways. I got it all figured out. My church is on fire. Come here, I want to tell you something. I was just like you when I started. Just like you. And I'm telling you, you think that your preacher gets Kool-Aid if it's red, if you could find it in the Bible. But I'm telling you, you better walk in the love of God and preach in the grace of God because if you don't, your ministry that's called is going nowhere. It will be over fast. Look at James and John. The Lord rebuked them for their naivety. This is the thing, and I'm going to close with one more point. James has zeal, son of thunder, but his zeal must be tempered. How is he going to mature in the faith? Will you hear me? God's going to use three things. He used it in my life. Number one, time. Number two, truth. And number three, trials. God will use those three things in your life to mature you in the faith. I need an amen right there. Some of y'all been like me. You've been walking with God a while, right? Have you seen time? and some truth, and some trials in your life change kind of how you used to see and think about things? I'm getting tore up. Man, God brought, me, brought us down so many pegs, amen, to get off our high horse and to become the horse and let him ride us, amen, that we might lift him up, amen. That's our job. God's going to develop James, and God's going to develop you, friend, and he's going to develop me. Fourthly, and I'm done. I see an indication of his patience. Now, I'm turning now to the book of Acts. Turning to the book of Acts, chapter number 1. 
the book of Acts chapter 1, we know that after Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, and on the first day of the week, what happened? He arose. He physically, bodily, I've got friends that don't believe that, that are pastors. That means they're not even saved. If you don't believe that Jesus bodily arose from the tomb, you can't even be saved. It's not an allegory. It's not a, you're not trying to spiritualize it. Honey, he got up. And after 40 days, he ascended back into heaven. They watched him go. And the two men appeared and said, this same Jesus, which you've seen go into heaven, will come in like manner as you've seen him go. And they were told to wait for the promise of the Spirit of God. Here is a man filled with energy, enthusiasm, a man who is eager, a sons of thunder, a man who's filled with passion, and he's told to wait. I'm going to explode. I can't wait. Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Spirit of God. And James has had testing and trials and and he's had truth, and time is passing. And now he's waiting in verse 13. When they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew. Do you see the list? There's the four again. Verse 1. Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. With women. There's 120 in that upper room. Honey, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost fell. And Peter stood up and 3,000 people got saved. And the gospel began to spread like wildfire. And it began to upset people. And then as I'm studying, I run across a place. Here, here's this man that's patiently waiting, patiently waiting. I run across a place in Acts chapter 12 where James is mentioned but not John. Wait, wait a minute, preacher. You said it as always get James is mentioned, but not John. And it's very significant. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex the church. This is probably some 10 to 15 years after the resurrection of Christ and the gospel is spreading. People are being saved. And it has now become a threat to the kingdom of King Herod. And King Herod said, I have got to stop the church. I have got to stop this Christian movement. And I'm looking to be, I'm looking to have someone to be public example, number one. I want to get the number one person that's causing me the biggest threat. And you know who he arrested? Not Peter. James. He got first. The Bible says in verse 2, and he killed James, the brother of John. John's not there, right? With the swords. They're always together. He's even mentioned in the passage. But here's James by himself. The brother of John has been beheaded. He has made a public example because he was the loudest voice. His zeal was now tempered. His zeal was right with God. And the Lord, what did, God, what did the Lord say? He said, you will indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. 
I suffered and died, and you will suffer and die. You will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized of. And John, is, excuse me, James is the first one to be put to death for his faith in Christ. Do you know of the twelve who the la or the eleven who the last one was? John. James was first. John was last. What about that? John, they tried to put in a burning cauldron of oil to watch him melt before the people, and he wouldn't burn. They had to exile him, get rid of him, to get rid of his, that old man's preaching. They put him out on the Isle of Patmos, and when he got there, he said, Lord, what am I going to do here? He said, I want you to write the things which have been, the things which are, and the things which shall be. And he wrote the book of Revelation. Thank God for it, amen. Now, I begin to look in this text. Verse 3 says, because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded, for, or proceeded further to take Peter also. He's arrested Peter now. He's going to kill him next. These are the days of unleavened bread. Do you remember what happened? While Peter was asleep. Here's a guy that would have never went, went to sleep when something was happening to him. He went to sleep while something happened to the Lord. The Bible says he's asleep. Then the angel came and smote him on his side and said, Get up, gird yourself. And when he got up, his chains fell off. He walked with the angel to the door, and the door went, and he walked right past the first ward. Next ward, whoop, walked right past it. And he's out in the street. Can this be real? And where's the first place he goes? Right back to the church, which was in the home, where they were praying for him. He knocks on the door. They're praying continually for him. And Rhoda goes to the door and says, Who is it? Just a little girl, a damsel. Who is it? He says, it's Simon Peter. Let me in. Y'all, you got to get up. Simon Peter's at the door. Oh, no, he can't be. He's in jail. We're praying for him. Let me in. It must be a spirit. It must be a ghost. Surely Herod has killed him, and the Lord did not answer our prayers. And on his way to heaven, his ghost has stopped by to say, thank you for praying, but I'm on my way. And they opened the door, and there was, how many times have you prayed doubting? And God answered your prayer, and he walked right in. Amen? How many times? Now, I've studied, studied. I don't have Bible for this, but I'm, I'm going to go out there. We know that Lord Jesus Christ was put to death upon the cross. We know that uh, um, he had two thieves crucified on either side of him. One would not repent. The other said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. When James, this is what we're told, when James was about to be beheaded, the officer who was guarding James on his way to be beheaded, he was so impressed with James's constant faith in Christ, though arrested, he would not denounce him or renounce him. And his zeal was continuing to work that he said to the apostle, he said, please forgive me for the way I've treated you so roughly and so harshly and for what we're going to have to do. And this is what James said. I'm quoting this from the book. Peace, my son. Peace be to thee. And the Lord, pardon thy faults if thou wilt call upon him. And at his feet, that man said, Lord, would you save me and forgive me of my deeds. And they picked him up and took him to be beheaded right beside James, the one who had just led him to faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, even in your dying hour, you can have zeal and serve God and still tell people about Jesus Christ. I want to say this tonight, and I'm done. God is looking for people to serve him. Like James, he's looking for people to have zeal under control. He's looking for people that are 100% driven for Christ. People who are willing to go all the way. People who are uncompromising. People who are zealous. See, in life, Jesus said, he that is greatest, you want to be great? You want your church to be great? Jesus said, he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. We don't want to be a servant. We think greatness should be served. But God says greatness is the one who serves. We think greatness is owning much. But God says greatness is found in giving. We think greatness is in giving orders. But God says greatness is in obedience. You see, we ought to have zeal about the right things. Not the way we see it, but the way He sees it. Lord, tonight as we bow our head, Lord, this message has been very convicting. Father, help us, Lord, that our zeal, our enthusiasm, and our excitement does not outrun our love for people. Lord, forgive us, Father, for our judgmental attitudes and our selfish, zealous, overzealous ambitions. God, help us, Father, that we think of Simon Peter, who when the Lord was arrested, picked up a sword and chopped off the high priest's servant's ear. He was wanting to chop off his head, but because he was so upset, he missed and only got his ear. And God, help us when we get in the pulpit and when we share the gospel in people's homes and, and on the street, that God, we're not so prejudiced and so overzealous that we cut people's heads off and their ears off where they can't hear the voice of God speaking to them. God, forgive us, Lord, I pray. And to help us, God, through time and truth and trials to be tempered in accordance to your plan. And help us, God, that we might truly have a walk of zeal and love, zeal and faith for you. God, this one thing we're asking for this church, that God, you'd help us, Lord, that you'd give us zeal thunderous zeal God all of those different characteristics and personality traits in those disciples Lord it's not just that which one we're, is the most we're, we're the most like or we are the most hero to us but God all of them have traits faults and failures that we see in our own lives so God help us to see that to identify it to repent of it to seek to do better and to serve you, Lord, not with blind ambition, but to serve you because when you saved us, you gave us a new walk. Lord, we're not walking by sight. We're walking by faith. Help us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I hope tonight that maybe when you study the list of the apostles, the disciples, some of you may say, I want to learn them in perfect order. They're, they're in different order in every place. But the groups are always the same. And the leader of the group is always the same. You'll do well to learn them. But most importantly, not just their names, but to see the traits that we have 
and to get right with God about it and grow from it because there's things to explore and things to discover about ourselves that still the vast unknown. It is said that in 1492 that Columbus discovered what? What? America, right? He never saw the Blue Ridge Mountains. He discovered America, but he had no idea of their beauty. He had no idea of the golden streams. He had no idea of those mountaintops and those peaceful, serene valleys. He had no idea about the Mississippi River and the, and, and the West. He had no idea about the, 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 the golden shores of, of the Pacific Ocean, but he said he discovered America. You know what? You think you know it all you need to know about Jesus, but I'm telling you, you've just got a little bit, and there's so much you still have no idea about.